it's it's magical remarkable remarkable right the, the power of technology so how you doing uh, good i'm still amazed by it all i'm hypnotized by technology i still get amazed that i can watch videos on my phone and right a fax machine still gives me all <laughs> i mean you know you think about what they showed us in like star trek and star wars right and we're better now than what they had then right right you know, the, the the grainy black and white thing in star wars that you could kind of barely make out um i carry a phone in my pocket that can do a video call better than what i used to see in movies you know i remember back in the 80s when fax machines first came out i don't want to embarrass my brother but uh, <laughs> he he actually thought he was sending me something to review and he put it in the fax machine of course it sent it digitally digitally to me but it came out the other side so he thought it wasn't working so he kept feeding it nice. back to the fax machine and i got six or eight copies apparently he thought <laughs> you know the machine crumples it up really small and it's it shoots pushed, it off yeah pushed through the wire and then i'm i smooth it out on my end to read it right he, he's gotten a little bit more advanced than i'm just behind him now so yeah is so he pretty good we handled this which was great Right. You know, if, it, if we can do this, then you can do just about anything. You right. Know? Right. So you are based in D.C. still, right? Yes. Uh, I have my my practice uh, here in D.C., but I've been here since the early 90s and uh, have been working in the child safety community industry, for lack of a better way of saying it, for, boy, going on 25 years now. And most of the work has been done here in Washington, D.C., and one of my areas of expertise is convincing members of Congress, administrations, as best you can, uh, agencies to pay attention to kids and their safety. And that's uh, what I've been doing most of my professional life, other than a, a short stint for six or seven years, actually practicing law in St. Louis. I, I wasn't aware of that. So what area of law did you actually practice? I, I did commercial litigation. So I was doing the okay. courtroom stuff, what you see on television, although not quite as dramatic as that. But I prepared cases for litigation, some of which actually got into the courtroom. Uh, many of them don't. Uh, so I did that for, boy, six, six years or so, and then moved up here to Washington, D.C., fell in love with a girl, uh, married her, still married, still wow. in love or some form of it, and uh, started my new career 25 years ago in child injury protection, child safety, uh, injury prevention, child safety protection. And that's what I've been doing for now a quarter of a century. So so what is the origin story? When you decided to go to law school back in, what year did you graduate law school? I, I graduated in 1989. I graduated from Indiana University uh, in 86 and law school in 89. So this will be your 30-year anniversary next year. Yeah, coming up. That's pretty cool. You are about to get to motivation. I, you know, my son, I, I'm just putting my son off into college now. This is his first year of college will be next year. And kids today take it much more seriously than, than I did. Uh, I went to law school quite simply, a little embarrassed to admit it, but it's candid and honest. I didn't know what I was going to do. Right. I wasn't, didn't have any passion, any inspiration. You know, so you're, you're 20 something years old and, what 20 year old, at least then, know what the hell they want to do. I didn't. And law school seemed like an interesting concept, at least the education component of it. And I'm glad I did. Uh, it made me change the way I think for the better. 
and I've been using it every day uh, since my degree. So when you graduated, did you immediately, you know, what did you do first? I uh, pr- uh, practiced law at a fairly large firm in St. Louis, Missouri. That's where I'm from originally mm-hmm. and uh, did commercial litigation there. And at the time was doing, you know, having a, I guess, got a long distance relationship with a, 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 my wife, Claudia, at the time, a, a girlfriend, eventually fiance, now wife. And uh, we did long distance for a while. She was here in Washington, D.C. And after a while, it was either, you know, the proverbial get off the pot right. or whatever. And for an attorney, the marketplace in Washington, D.C. is much, much greater than it is in St. Louis. So I uh, made the move up here. This is a city filled with interesting, creative ways to use your, utilize your law degree. And I ended up working for uh, Children's Hospital here, the, the Children's National Medical Center, and worked for a program of theirs called Safe Kids, which I know you've heard of. It's, yeah. still, it's still around and still exists today. And uh, did everything from that, everything for them uh, in an executive fashion. But two of the things I did was legal work for them as that organization got bigger and bigger, became Safe Kids Worldwide. Legal work became more and more sophisticated. And then also uh, handled, serviced the mission by doing advocacy, which is just a fancy way of saying lobbying, you know, lobbying on behalf of children. And uh, to some extent or to much extent, I still do both those things today for some of the family foundations that I that I help in in their pursuit of mission. I'm always a fan of lawyers who find a cool way to be lawyers without actually um, doing law the traditional way that we normally think of, you know, having a practice, litigation, lawsuits, you know, criminal law, you know, and uh, some of the, the best people I know. Are, are like you, are, are lawyers who figured out a, you know, a neat path to the goals they want to do through a law degree, which I always think is really admirable, actually. I just, uh, I do this about eight or 10 times a year. Friends or acquaintances, business colleagues have uh, 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 young, uh, young adults in their life who are going to law school or have just graduated law school and want to know what they can do with their law degree other than, as you say, the traditional practice of law. Well, this is the oasis for that right. here in Washington, D.C. Although, you know, they're in Florida, any city's got options for that, but mm-hmm. it's they're much, much greater and much broader, much deeper here in Washington, D.C. And I speak to young adults all the time about how they can creatively use their law degrees and in most cases, creatively to use them for good. Uh, although I personally think, you know, attorneys serve an important role in our society. Sometimes it's a little embarrassing, but they do overall. And uh, so uh, if 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 anybody wants to go to law school, there's lots of things you can do with that law degree um, once you. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a, a good friend of mine who does urban planning, urban development, um, and he went to law school. But, you know, all of his work goes around city planning and, you know, creating these little city centers um, and it's, you know, it's a neat way to be a lawyer without actually, you know, being a lawyer. We, so, all, we all get hypnotized by what we see on television as to right. what we do. And that's, you know, that's a big part of it, no doubt. But here, like I say, here in Washington, D.C., there are so many things you can do. One of which is what I uh, do and what we work on together 
uh, for a living. And it's been quite rewarding and also a good a good profession. I've done well doing it. So, so how long were you with Safe Kids? Uh, I was with them for 17 years and uh, ended up, uh, no, I thought I might, I left, uh, thought I might take a couple of years off, but once I uh, got out, uh, people started contacting me or I had known people. And of course, you know, the Taylor, Scott and Katie Taylor sure. from Abby's Hope and started talking with them about helping get their foundation not up and running because it had been started, but I don't, I just don't think they were pleased with where it was. So they asked me if I could help, help them. And uh, I signed a, a year long, maybe a two year contract to help hire board recruit, mission serve, PR advocacy, all those things. And uh, boy, I'm going on six years with them. So, wow. Yeah. What I thought would be a couple of years just to take up some of my time has ended up being much, much more to that. And then word spread and, uh, other families have, have joined the fold, so to speak. So talk a little bit about Abby's Hope and, and what you guys do. Well, Abby's Hope is a, is a nonprofit organization based in uh, Edina, Minnesota, just outside of Minneapolis, one of the communities outside Minneapolis. And like so many family foundations, uh, it, it started through a tragedy. I mean, um, I've listened to many of your, your, I guess you would call this a, video cast yeah. and uh, you know, there's a lot of tragic stories out there and Katie and Scott Taylor, the founders of Abby's hope had a, uh, uh, had a daughter uh, who died in a pool entrapment. Her name was Abby, uh, Abby's hope. And it was a public pool, albeit a private country club there in Edina. And she sat down in a waiting pool on a drain and it's a little disturbing, Eric. I know you know the basics of the story, but hopefully people can uh, uh, handle, you know, the, the, the business side of this. It's, I think it's, it's important. Yeah, it's, she was eviscerated, which is uh, a fancy medical term uh, for having her insides pulled out of her body, out of her rectum, so to speak. And uh, she died as a result of her injuries. Uh, it's a very, very serious injury and almost impossible to survive. I mean, when your digestive tract is pulled out of your body from the suction of a drain, it's very difficult to recover from that. She fought uh, bravely, heroically, but she, she, she died a few months after. So uh, uh, in her hospital bed, she you know, waxed on about why this happened to her and uh, shouldn't pools be safer? And she sure does hope underline that word hope that this doesn't happen to any other kids. And Katie and Scott, that kind of registered. And when she passed away, they decided to uh, start the Abby's Hope Charitable Foundation. And it's been around for, boy, uh, just celebrated its 10th year. And it does what exactly what you and probably the viewers think they do. They work to prevent those things from happening to other children and adults for that matter. And it's done through education, uh, public policy, the advocacy work on Capitol Hill and the agencies. We'll probably talk a little bit more specifically about some of those things. Uh, uh, you know, the public health perspe perspective, uh, uh, education, uh, presentations around the country, stakeholders, convincing 
decision makers and leaders about how to prevent children from dying from entrapment and traditional forms of drowning, which are both part of their mission. And uh, I believe, I can be so bold, hope it doesn't sound egotistical, but I think we've made quite a difference. Uh, I was going to say, um, you know, there's a lot of nonprofits out there and they're all doing fantastic work. You guys have achieved a level of efficacy that uh, is really remarkable. Um, you know, even on the legislative side, you know, the work you did with the, you know, Preston to Eburn McKenzie law is really, uh, really something, you know. Yeah. Well, um, that, that's one of the, the benefits of, of my experience. Uh, and, and, the, and the Baker law, obviously. You know. Yeah. The, uh, Virginia Graham Baker. Virginia Graham Baker. Yeah. Which, by, by the way, three of the uh, three of the children all died from entrapments. It was the perfect storm, not in the good way. Uh, uh, in the mid 2000s, uh, died from an entrapment. There was Abby, who we talked about, who was eviscerated at a public pool. There was um, Graham Baker, who is Nancy Baker's daughter, Secretary of State. James Baker's for right. those of you who are old enough to remember him. I know you are, Eric. I am too. Uh, his granddaughter, uh, Graham Baker. And there was another a child in Greenwich, Connecticut, Zach Cohn, who you're familiar with. Uh, yeah. The, 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 the Zach, the Zach uh, Foundation in Greenwich, Greenwich, Connecticut. And all of them died within a short period of time, each other, which ended up being the motivation for the passage of the law that changed the way pools and spas are built and maintained in this country. And it's still around today and still an active and vibrant piece of legislation. And if I'm correct, since the passing of the law, since it's been implemented, there have been zero drainage fatalities in a commercial pool. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, it, actually, the, the probably the best way to say it, since the enforcement date of the law, the law yeah. passed yeah. and then it took enforcement one year later, we had to let the industry catch up and and understand the products that are out there that would bring them in compliance with the law. But you're absolutely right. Your memory is serving you correctly. There's not been a single death in a public pool uh, related to an entrapment since the enforcement data of that law, which it t tells me that it works. Yeah. Um, in fact, I just did an interview with a newspaper just uh, a handful of days ago, and the basic gist of the interview was, not necessarily about what the Virginia Graham Baker Pool and Spa Safety Act requires, and we'll probably talk about that here during our video cast, but instead pointing out that it's an example of government working the way it's supposed to. Yeah. Uh, not without its controversy, not without its, uh, uh, you know, we had to give a little, take a little, give a little negotiation, but Democrats, Republicans, uh, the agency itself, the Consumer Product Safety Commission, the pool industry, the advocate community, which I represented represented in much of the uh, lobbying that went on on Capitol Hill, did come together, not always in complete agreement, but always professional, always well, and crafted a law that passed both chambers uh, swimmingly, pardon the pun. Uh, very uh, popular piece of legislation, and it's worked, and uh, everybody's embraced it. Uh, just great. And that your stat about zero deaths is proof positive that, you know, government can work despite what we might read in the paper. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of laws get passed and you hear about them not having kind of the intended outcome. But in this case, really phenomenal, you know, and, uh, you know, I think you deserve quite a bit of credit for that because it's, um, you know, it's a real testament to 
you know, the Abby's Hope and, you know, in your work and, you know, the intelligence with, in which the, the law was crafted. So, you know, I, I think, you know, kudos to you for that. It was really well done. It's also a, a, a comment on on the parents and three of them I mentioned. Sure. Their, their willingness to turn tragedy to triumph. Uh, I always describe the families that do advocacy work on behalf of drowning prevention or any uh, uh, mission that where children die, le leaving kids unattended in cars or child locking protection, fire and burn, poisoning. You lose a child. If you're willing to uh, risk the emotional fragility that you have after that to do some greater good, it's a very selfless, not selfish, selfless act. And it was actually Nancy Baker uh, who taught me that lesson. She, she's a painter and uh, she lives up in Maine now and I still do work for her and her family. And she, uh, she once said to me that she loses herself in painting and it's, you know, 15, 20 minutes, an hour and 15 minutes a day when she's painting where she's not thinking about her daughter and the tragedy. Well, when you open up a foundation or when you put yourself out there to be an advocate, to make sure uh, that it doesn't happen to other children, you're allowing all of us to intrude on that few minutes of peace uh, that you might have. And by asking public presentations, radio interviews, pod, uh, webcasts like yours, um, the, the, the advocacy efforts, you intrude on that moments of peace and actually have to relive that tragedy over and over again. And I've always been a uh, a, a, a admirer of those parents who do that. So much of the credit goes to them and their courage to be able to speak up in these situations. Absolutely. So why don't you go ahead and talk a little bit about the law and kind of what it what it offered and um, and how it's still being used right now? Well, they, if you were to if you were to pick up the law yourself, Eric, or anybody, even as smart as you are, and I don't mean that as facetiously as a joke. Well, thanks. I've worked with you for a long time. The if you were to read the law, it, it, to me, it reads like Shakespeare. I mean, I never understood a damn word the guy said. <laughs> yeah. uh, but when you read the cliff notes and then go back to the original work, it kind of makes the piece of legislation or makes the play come to life. Well, the same thing here. If you were to read the piece of legislation, you wouldn't understand much of what it says. I have difficulty understanding it, uh, even as an attorney. So I'll give you the cliff notes. And there's four or five things that the the um, the piece of legislation did, and I'll, I'll go through them quickly. The first thing was it made it illegal to sell a dangerous drain in this country, in any store, in any fashion, distribute, sell, retail, commercial, anything, it's illegal. And I actually have, it'll be a little bit difficult on the screen, but- We'll you, explain it. You can see the da a dangerous drain right here. There it is looking uh, forward facing. There it is by the side, it's flat like this. So if it sits on the bottom of a pool and a kid uh, goes down there, the suction is quite strong, uh, you know, puts any part of their body, you know, the, the chest, the back, the buttocks, uh, even the side, uh, a seal can be formed. Oh, or even, even hair, I, I've heard about it. Right, hair entanglement. Yeah. And, and also if you sit a certain way with your butt on the drain, that's where eviscerations can happen because it's right. so strong. So. It, it, the first thing the piece of legislation did was making it illegal to sell these drain covers in the marketplace. Uh, and I'll come back, remind me if I don't get to this, there's a beauty to that particular concept uh, that I'll raise again that 
affects all pools, not just public pools. I was going to say, I was actually going to reference that already because I, I kind of, I, I think I work, see where you're going with that, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah go yeah. ahead. I mean, we can get to it now, but. Well, no, just that, you know, if, if it's legal to sell them, period, you know, that's residential, that's commercial, you know, it has an impact across the full spectrum of pools, not just the public pools, which the law, you know, was kind of targeted at. Yep, spot on. That's exactly right. The, the number two, that, which gets to your point, is that it requires the use of safe drain covers. Now, hopefully you can see this. Here it is front on. It may look the same front on, but on the side, you can see it's rounded. It's dome shaped. It sits at the bottom of the pool. And because it is dome shaped and engineered a certain way, uh, you can't get the seal. There's always space for water flow around the drain. And that prevents the suction from happening in the first place. So now, uh, number two, you have to use these safe drains in all public pools across the country. Does not affect residential pools. Mm -hmm. Now, back to your point, which you so smartly uh, uh, pointed out, even because this is illegal to sell, you can't find them in the marketplace anymore. So even right. when you're building pools, even residential pools, uh, uh, you 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 can't not but buy the safe drain covers in the pool. And plus, no no manufacturer of drain covers wants to be the company that sells the the ones that are labeled unsafe, right? I mean, that's that that's right. In fact, you can't even find them anymore. Right. Uh, we were just um, uh, at the National Drowning Prevention Alliance, which you've attended so many of those, mm -hmm. and I said to one of the pool service company guys, "I can't find dangerous drains anymore. Uh, can you?" Uh, send me a box as you pull them out. And I just not but two, three weeks ago, got a box with three or four in there, w admitting that they're very tough to find. These are almost impossible to find at the bottom. You can still do it, but much rarer now to find these at the bottom of the pool. So it's illegal, illegal to sell anywhere, no matter what the retail outlet uh, requirement to use in public pools. Um, so that was the second component of the Virginia Graham Baker Pool and Spa Safety Act. The third component was making sure that uh, pools going forward uh, have two drains at the bottom instead of just one. Drains like you see in the back of Holiday Inns, not to be pejorative against that chain, but any small hotel, apartment right. complex, any kidney-shaped pool, which we've all seen so many times, there must be thousands, thousands and thousands of them in Florida where you're sitting. Um, you have to, going forward for new pools, make sure you have two drains attached to the same pump. So if you cover one drain, if you cover one, uh, you still have flow going the other way. So that's a, a, an issue that Congress addressed to talk about pools going forward. For those that still have single drains at the bottom of the, the pools, meaning just one drain at the bottom, not two, uh, you have to have backup systems that detect the suction and shut them off. So that was an important concept, not only the affecting the marketplace, requiring use of certain type of drains, but making uh, changes to existing pools with single drains and looking forward as to new pools that are being built every single day and to make sure they're at least dual drain pools. 
is that residential or just commercial? Uh, that is, um, that is commercial. However, uh, the standard practices now, uh, the best practices, both by code and by education is that, uh, it's been a long, I, I just don't think they build new pools anymore with a single main drain. Right. It may not be specifically addressed in the federal legislation, but everybody has recognized the laws of physics make a difference, whether it's a public pool or a private pool. Right. And um, that if it is a, a, a private pool, pool construction companies have made the change and are now doing it properly there. So. And, and that's tremendous. I mean, that, you know, that alone, I'm sure, I mean, we, we know for a fact it's eliminated all of those deaths that probably would have happened um, had the law and the changes that came with the law not not happened, not taken effect. So uh, you, you you see plenty of pools in Florida now, or, and I'm sure the people that tune into your, your webcast, when you go to a hotel, when you go to a friend's house for a pool, uh, you can start, you know, uh, uh, activating your own way to help and take a look at the bottom of pools. Most of them will have the safe drain covers, but if they don't, politely mention to the pool and spa operator, are you familiar with the Virginia Graham Baker Pool and Spa Safety Act? We just refer to it as the VGB Act. Right. Or And if you see one of these that are flat at the bottom of the pool, you know that they haven't kept up with uh, the piece of federal legislation. I, I've had, a, I had someone say to me once, which is a, so good, if you can stub your toe on the drain, it's a safe drain cover. If it's smooth and flush to the bottom of the pool, it might very well be a dangerous one. Certainly, Eric, if the drain is missing from the bottom of the pool. Now, you know, a good drain that's missing, not a good drain. It does right. its purpose. So you have to make sure you let the owners and operators know that that is a death trap waiting to have a public pool, private pool, apartment, summer camp, uh, hotel, you name it. Uh, that's a dangerous situation. In fact, uh, uh, you probably saw the video Recently, it happened not not in Florida, but in your neck of the woods uh, in South Carolina. The kid that was entrapped, the drain, he was able to lift the drain. The screws weren't in right and was stuck to the bottom of the, of the lazy river. And um, boy, some guy in, in a miracle survived because a guy gave him breathing CPR underwater for yeah. close to nine minutes. So uh, it can happen. And it's a good thing to do as you think about watching kids and active supervision. I'm sure we'll be talking about those issues also here. Um, uh, that you also just take a look at the bottom of the pool and uh, make sure that things look right there. Not, and, 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 and tell your kids not to, to go near the drain, safe drain or not. Right. And I'm sure for, you know, hotels who have the unsafe drain, it's probably a, it's a pretty cheap fix to get to the, the good one, right? Right, right. I'm told this is, you know, this is 60 bucks. Yeah, that's what I figured, you know. Yeah. And, and, and you do it as part of your service. And all right. these public pools have got services probably the beginning of the year and probably once a month, if not more, throughout the course of a summer in Florida. You know, at least every few weeks you're having a service guy out there and they should be looking for those kind of things and change them out. There's a bit of a service. You do one one time service. Sure. You've got to pay someone for their work. Uh, you know, God bless America, but the actual drain itself. It's not like this is a, a $1,200 safety. Event. No, less, less than a hundred bucks. You're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. Which, so, so what laws would you like to see 
get better? You know, what legislation, you know, as far as water safety and pool safety goes, you know, I know that there's been a lot of local laws. Uh, Florida has a, a pool safety law, which has just gotten a lot worse in the last year. Right. Um, right. We took a big hit last July where uh, floating pool alarms are now an option. Right. Uh, an alternative to pool fences are, or um, hardwired um, alarms on the doors and windows that lead to the pool. So well, now instead of that, you can get a floating pool alarm, which is, uh, in my opinion, dangerous. Um, in fact, you know, we have a, a program we call the Save a Life program where we donate pool fences to any family who experiences a fatal or non-fatal drowning. And we're giving a fence away next week to a family who experienced a non-fatal drowning. And they have a brand new pool and their pool builder gave them the choices that they're required by law to give, which is, uh, you know, a pool alarm, uh, alarms on the doors and windows or a pool fence. They thought that all of those were equally safe because there are the three choices. They chose the pool alarm and their kid almost drowned. He, he is still in the hospital right now uh, being treated. And they met code and they complied with the law. But the law failed their, their child and is currently, you know, fighting for recovery in a hospital. But, um, you know, uh, yeah. uh, it, it, there's a difference between what is referred to as uh, passive prevention and active prevention. Right. I used to have a mentor who was a pediatric a burn surgeon at Children's Hospital, a f the founder of Safe Kids. His name was Marty Eichelberger. And he used to say, boy, you can put a, a fence at the top of a cliff or very fast ambulances at the bottom of the cliff. Right. You want the, the fence at the top of the, you want to prevent the injury from happening in the first place. Another example is smoke alarms. That happens once the fire has started and all right. it's, it's already, yeah, the house is on fire. Right. Yeah. Now, a, a sprinkler system, sure there's still a fire or smoke, but it actually actively prevents it from spreading and causing injury. Well, the fence, there may be a role for pool alarms as a backup. Uh, there's some question as to whether or not they work properly, but um, a fence I know works and preferably an isolation fence. Mm -hmm. You're in the business and you know what that means. Four-sided fencing all the way around the pool. Uh, that's the best way is to put that barrier. We saw, we don't know all the facts yet, but we saw a very high profile drowning now uh, recently with uh, an Olympic skier, Bodie Miller and his wife. Who, uh, I think her name was, her last name was Morgan. Um, yeah, Morgan is her first name. Yeah, uh, yeah, Morgan. And um, she was, a, a, I think, a volleyball. Volleyball, yep. volleyball yeah. Yeah, and, and they lost their child tragically, made quite a bit of news. Uh, you know, the child, as, it, as happens, can scamper away, you lose control. And I don't know this for a fact, but I would presume that there wasn't a barrier from whoever's home they were in. There wasn't an appropriate barrier. Uh, between the home and the, the pool to prevent that eight, 18 month old young girl from getting into the pool. So fencing is uh, very important. And to your original question, when you see pieces of legislation passing around the country that prevent, uh, that are, are serving safety, and they do in many respects, but there is a best practice concept. And I believe, and many do, I know you agree, notwithstanding the fact that you're in the business. I mean, this is a public health uh, uh, common fact that barrier fencing, isolation fencing works. And uh, there's uh, no better way to prevent a kid from getting unfettered access to a pool, which by the way, uh, also applies to inflatable pools or above ground pools in backyards. 
is to put fencing around them. So to see laws uh, passed that require that type of safety device, um, you know, if we, uh, you know, you driving a car is dangerous, so or can be. So you have child locking protection laws. You have adult seatbelt laws. Uh, examples of like that are. You know, you, we, we got a polio vaccination. You don't see polio anymore. Right. Active prevention. I liken those two examples to pool fences and to safe drains and so forth. You're creating a safe environment. I'll give you one other example. Uh, just by interest, you and I are older than the average bear. And remember when um, refrigerators used to lock yep. inside. Mm -hmm. uh, there was no magnetics. You pull the handle, that right. retro looking refrigerator. Well, a lot of kids were climbing into refrigerators and suffocating in refrigerators mm -hmm. because they couldn't get out. Well, there was a piece of legislation, Virginia Graham Baker to address that issue. And now those are illegal uh, to manufacture because of the deaths associated. Well, you make the environment safer. Now, the kid happens to crawl into an abandoned uh, refrigerator at a junkyard or out in the backyard or a working one. You just push on the inside and you can get out. So um, those are that's how we should be thinking about our advocacy as we want to protect it. So what would your ideal pool safety law look like? And would it be state? Would it be federal? And what would it contain? Well, the, one of the reasons why the Virginia Graham Baker Pool and Spa Safety Act did not reach into backyards mm -hmm. was uh, because Congress felt, uh, and I believe they are right, that constitutionally they couldn't require parents or pools to use the safe drain. For instance, they couldn't pass a law that says every home has to have a smoke alarm in it or that your child has to use a child occupant protection uh, seat or a bike helmet, though that's not the feth, that's not for the federal government. I won't go into details from my law school days. There's something for the 10th Amendment called the 10th Amendment that basically says, uh, if it's not in the Constitution, it's not for Congress. I mean, it has right. to be in the Constitution, then Congress can, can act on it. So um, they felt they couldn't reach into uh, residential pools. So your comment that, uh, is it federal, is it state? Our Constitution probably requires a combined effort whereby Congress can handle public pools uh, like we talked about, hotels, motels, uh, community pools, so forth. Uh, and then the states need to pass laws that that affect residential pools. And the perfect piece of legislation is going to address um, going to address the drain entrapment issue. Uh, even if people are building pools correctly now, there's a lot of old existing pools that still need to be addressed. That does barriers properly. I prefer, and I know uh, you do too, isolation fencing. Um, I like a backup, uh, a pool cover, electronic pool cover, or a manual pool cover work well. Um, and then there's other issues about you know, training uh, of CPR, not just for responders, but for everybody as part of a health curriculum, lifeguard training. I mean, you can go on and on 
about what we need to be doing uh, from an advocacy point of view, or at very least an education point of view, to make sure that the pool, the spa, the pond, the lake, the river is as safe as possible. No, that sounds perfect. And I think California has got a pretty good one. Uh, yeah. the, the law that they recently passed that has seven options and then requires you to get two of them, which fits in with the layers of protection mantra that we use all of the time and actually takes that concept and puts it into legislation. Uh, I think California might have the best pool safety law in the country currently. Right. California often leads the way on consumer protection and often, but not always, often it does spread through the country. Now it's a long process to get that kind of thing. It's tough to get someone from Idaho to think about drowning prevention. Sure. Who happened there? That's why the education component of what we do, what you do, uh, what our friends and stakeholders do is so important also, not just the advocacy uh, component. Um, In fact, I'd say, you know, much of what I do now is education. uh, And when advocacy comes up, that's when we activate that particular component of what I do. So the education's component too. And to get back to the Virginia Graham Baker Pool and Spa Safety Act, Congress was smart enough to establish in that piece of legislation, a lot of people don't realize it, the Pool Safely Campaign. Yes. Actually a creature of Congress. And that's a a, a phenomenal campaign. Yes, an education campaign that still goes on today, uh, uh, run by the Consumer Product Safety Commission. Uh, Their funding has been cut a little bit over the years, but it still exists and it's quite effective. There are things I would like to see them be a little bit more active about, but overall, it's a very good program, kind of like the back to sleep program and the stop, drop and roll. All these things take repetitive messages, a concerted effort with the resources uh, behind it to get it done. And the Pool Safely campaign does that. No, I think the Pool Safely campaign is one of, if not the best uh, pool safety campaigns that we've seen to date. I mean, their videos are fantastic. The the literature they put out is excellent. You know, they did a very, very intelligent, thoughtful job of trying to get out to the public, you know. And even the name is clever, you know, to, to turn a pool safely into a verb. Yeah. Um, an excellent job on their part. Really, really well done. And, and, and uh, most people don't realize that all of their materials are free. Yeah. You go to their website and get and that includes pool service companies or fencing companies. Or if you want to you service a pool, you leave a little packet, a little door uh, tag, a, a water watchdog you know, tag. You know, I've got one here that uh, you can get that all free from the federal government. Lots of other groups, including Abby's Hope. But uh, and you can have a leave behind, which I think is a great thing for pool service companies to do as you do your cleaning, uh, your chemical testing and your maintenance of the pool. You leave by some leave behind some consumer education material. I think it demonstrates that you care, not just about getting your invoice paid. Nothing wrong with that, but also that you care about your your customers as constituents, and you can spread some safety also. And um, that's very important. All that material is free at uh, at the CPSC. At, at poolsafely.gov and right. probably .com too. Yeah. So a lot of people in the in the water safety community watch this. Uh, in fact, probably the majority of the people um, that watch this are involved in drowning prevention in some ways. 
And a lot live in states who have laws like ours in Florida that leave a lot to be desired. So since you've done this before, um, and it's kind of an area of expertise for you, you know, what would you recommend to people like me and other people trying to affect change on our state and local laws to, to make them into the, the laws we'd like them to be? Actually, the, 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 the second most popular presentation that I do around the country is kind of an advocacy 101 about uh, how to affect change, as you say. And the first thing I'll say is that the vast majority of people are so scared about advocacy and lobbying, you know, talking to your member of Congress, a state senator or a United States senator. Uh, it's a very intimidating process. Well, let me uh, fix that misconception right now. Demystify it for us. Yes, demystify it. There is no reason to be uh, apprehensive about doing it. The people who are listening to, to this um, uh, or watching this webcast know way more than any member of Congress uh, or any state legislator or local legislator uh, about the mission that we're talking about here. So that's number one. And in that presentation that I do, I've got about 10 or 12 advocacy tips. We can talk about some of them. But the most important thing, the number one thing that I recommend that everybody do, and it's probably something for you to do in your business, uh, is a concept that I call uh, make a friend instead of find a friend. Uh, a lot of people, and I see this all the time on Capitol Hill, you've got a big issue you want changed. You run up on Capitol Hill or your state legislature or your county council, doesn't matter which venue you're talking about here, and you try to find someone who'll support you on your issue. Totally legitimate way of doing it. I think inefficient and not the best, but a legitimate way of doing it. And in fact, most people do it that way. I instead uh, subscribe to a make a friend. And that is make a friend with your state legislature, your, your congressional leaders, your county council members before you ever have the need or the ask. And let me use your business as an example. Uh, Eric, if you haven't invited your uh, county councilman or your state representative, either senator or delegate, I think they're delegates in, in Florida, mm -hmm. uh, to tour your facility there, your manufacturing, to maybe spend an hour with you at a pool. Uh, I know you do lots of newsletters and communications. Getting them engaged about what you do as a small businessman in, in Florida uh, and make a friend so that when there is a tragedy and there's gonna be one in Florida uh, and you're ready to move on an advocacy, you can call Senator Jones and you've got that relationship. So that's the number one tip that, that, that I give everybody is whether or not you think you've got any advocacy effort pending, if you're too, Busy to do it, doesn't matter. Engage your local leadership and decision makers, your advocacy decision makers now with a meet and greet at their office, letting them know about your business or about your organization, taking them, a, like I said, a tour on your facilities, a manufacturing facility or your nonprofit offices, have a little brown bag lunch with them when they're in town or if they're already local invite them over just so they know that you exist out there and you'll watch how quickly 
they recognize it as an opportunity for them to look good because they're motivated by lots of things, one of which is ego and retaining that seat or that position. And if you can help them look good, well, all the better. You'll do some good at the same time. So that's the number one tip I give to people who want to get involved or should get involved in advocacy. Yeah, I mean, I I would say it's probably better to have that relationship and never, quote, use it, end quote, than to need it and not have it, right? And something like drowning, I don't care if it's the District of Columbia, uh, Florida, or Minnesota, there's going to be a need. uh, Because, I mean, you and I both wake up every day to clips on our computers and phones about drownings that have happened around the country, and it seems like it's never ending. Uh, So you can utilize, and I don't mean that wholeheartedly, uh, you can use a tragic event in a community in a polite fashion at the right time to activate your friend that you've made prior to the need. So um, I just love that strategy and it's worked very well uh, for, 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 for me. Uh, you, every once in a while, you do get a member of Congress uh, or uh, who already are knee deep again upon, uh, you know, Debbie Wasserman Schultz in, uh, in Florida was involved in, the Virginia Grand Baker Pool and Spa Safety Act from the very beginning, along with many other members of Congress, both Republican and Democrat and independents. Uh, but she, 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 she didn't have to be convinced. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was one of those. You didn't have to find that friend. You knew she existed and she was ready to help when it comes to pool safety. So, but that's rare. That's, that's kind of rare. So what is the most popular presentation you give if that's number two? Oh, uh, well, uh, as an, as an attorney, uh, by training, uh, a lot of foundations, a lot of nonprofits, a lot of fire stations, police stations all want to do, I don't know, a child safety seat checkup event in their backyard or a pool safety check or a, uh, a personal flotation device loaner station. And the number one reason or roadblock is liability, which is misguided. Uh, so I do a presentation both at NDPA and Water Safety Congress. I mean, you name it. Uh, also, child locking protection conferences and other. I just did it for uh, the National Association of Au Pairs, uh, a liability presentation about how to protect yourself and your or- organization from the small exposure to liability you have uh, to do programming. So the theme of that particular presentation is uh, don't let the fear of liability prevent you from doing God's work. Utilize a little bit of healthy fear to make sure that whatever you do do, you do it right. And that's, we walk through uh, an understanding of liability, negligence, and how to keep your exposure very, very small. So for the parents and moms and dads that uh, tend to tune into this, um, what does Abby's Hope recommend for pool safety, for water safety? What are some things that parents should be doing to be keeping their, their backyard safer? Well, you know, one of the things that I say regularly, and lots of people say this, is that, you know, drowning, uh, drowning doesn't happen the way it happens uh, on a movie, in a movie. Sure. You know, oh, help. You know <laughs> I'm drowning. Or what is it? Lassie? Emmy dropped in the well. There's no big commotion. We've mm-hmm. all seen videos of, of kids drowning live or taped of an actual incident, the kid goes under, it's a very quiet thing. So 
the most important thing for the parent to do is active supervision. And you have to keep your eyes on the child at all times when they're at a pool. Now I'm sure, and I've seen some of your other webcasts, everybody talks about the water watcher program uh, and, and what it does. And the reason why everybody talks about there because they freaking work. Right. A great way to get people engaged. And, you know, Abby's Hope's got one that's free on our website. You just sign a little pledge and you'll get a, a, a free a water washout card. It's made of metal. So it's, you know, a, a, a very durable and weather resistant and hang by the pool. But you know how they work. I feel almost silly even talking about it. Most of your viewers do, but it's obvious. You put this on. It's my job to watch the pool at a party, uh, at a at a swim class or an afternoon in a community pool, even if there's lifeguards there, by the way, I think. Right. And then after 15 or 20 minutes, I take it off and I put it on your around your neck and now it's your job. And I can go have the hot dog uh, or in my case, two or three of them and, uh, you know, read a book or check your phone while the other parent is watching. So it's that uninterrupted, active, consistent, constant supervision of children. Um, you know, that's number one. Uh, you know, no day at a pool should end in a, in a tragedy, as we know they often do. Have yeah. you have you ever been to a pool party yet where you've been a water watcher? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. all the time. And I've also been to pools that I, I've been to pools and parties where I didn't know very many people. They didn't know what I do for, for a living. And there were water watchdogs. In That's one cool. case, it happened to be Abby's Hope. In another case, it was a pool safely water watchdog tag. And they had they had a whole system, a sign up in 15 minutes and they were watching the pool and there were lifeguards there. So that kind of warmed my heart uh, a little bit. They're not used enough. They really should be used. You know, we all we apply sunscreen. We, you know, make sure that the kids have got uh, their goggles uh, for the chlorine. You need the water watch dog. That's what we call it. Water watch dog tag program uh, as a pool, as a as a an extra, as you say, layer of protection. Mm -hmm. uh, around the pool just in case something happens. So that's number one. No, you know, number two is I think uh, I always say that, you know, learn to swim. It's not a it's not a life skill. It's a life saving skill. Right. Right. You know, we we, we 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 put our kids in tennis lessons and football and bowling and chess and golf and all the other things that happen, hockey and track. Uh, and those are great life skills, but none of those are going to save your life except maybe track if you're being chased by a bear. But uh, swimming is actually a life-saving skill. So getting kids signed up for swim lessons. And, you know, the American Academy PGA actress says around two, but you got to know your own child. Certainly water comfort classes, moving into the actual instructional classes, absolutely should do it. I did it with my kid. And he's right now he's at a summer camp and is a lifeguard, passed his lifeguarding test and is a lifeguard at a lake. Um, so um, it's a it's an important skill to have learning how to swim. And what's next? Um, you know, it, it, it Absolutely. Yeah, since you already have the incident. uh, incidents happen. Sure. Not a bad idea to get yourself trained at the very least uh, with bystander. CPR, yes. not a full-fledged CPR. You and I have been in those classes ourselves, and 
that's a way to save life. We've heard um, lectures and guest speakers at many of the conference you and I have, have been to uh, that say, if boy, if you can get CPR started, even bystander CPR, we're not talking, uh, you know, trying to think of a famous doctor, but, you know, but a, a, an experienced EMT, even bystander CPR improves someone's chance of survival tremendously. There's a number there that's shocking. I don't remember what it is, but it is a large number where you improve the percentage of survival after a drowning or other incidences, uh, if you know bystander CPR at the very least. So, you know, well, before the summer starts or during the summer, you know, host a, a CPR class at your home or sign up at your YMCA. We did one in my neighborhood where um, uh, everybody contributed, I think each family contributed 25 or $35 and seven, eight families came into my living room and we all learned CPR uh, right here. And it was fun. Not only yeah. it was worth worth doing, obviously. So I, I always think of uh, our friend, uh, Laura Metro. Right. Who yeah. started the Clay Foundation, which has become CPR party. And yeah. her son, who is fine today, suffered a, a non-fatal drowning. And she believes that the reason Clay, her son, is, is okay is because a bystander initiated CPR and performed CPR who did only what he had seen on TV. Um, he didn't even really know CPR, but he did, you know, what he thought to be the best thing. And now her son is alive and fine and happy and doing great. And you know, so even, you know, she decided that, you know, certification is ideal, but if you could throw CPR parties, maybe kind of like you did, you can give people enough information that they might be able to save someone like her son Clay was saved. Right. The, the I, a doctor once told me, and I've heard it a couple of times since, uh, so I can't speak to its absolute accuracy, but I bet it is. It, he told me, this was an emergency room physician, that there's a 25% chance during the course of your lifetime that during the course of your lifetime, you will be in the room with someone that needs CPR or the Heimlich maneuver. Wow. So now it hasn't happened to me yet. Right. There's only you know a 25% chance I've not had that happen. Uh, have you? Not yet. No. Yeah. Uh, so we're in the 25%, but there's a pretty good you know one in four chance. Right. Of course, of your lifetime that that's going to happen. Uh, so it's nice to have somebody in the room that knows how to respond at least informally to those situations, uh, so you can help save a life. Um, I think it was last year uh, that Dr. Heimlich got to perform the uh, Heimlich maneuver for the first time. Yeah. He was I, in a nursing home and you know, yeah. the lady next to him started choking and he did it and it worked. Didn't he recently pass away too, I think? He, uh, he may have. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but you're right. I do remember that. That's, uh, is that ironic when that happens? That, that Ironic or a coincidence, but uh, yeah. I, I know the, I know the older lady who was the, um, you know, who received the Heimlich from him was, was honored that the Dr. Heimlich did the Heimlich maneuver on her. She was really excited about that. Everybody knows what it is, but not too many people know how to do it. Right. Uh, and it can happen. I mean, it, odds are with you that you're going to see it. So. And apparently it works really well. If, uh, if you do it right, um, it, it, you know, chucks the thing out of your mouth really uh, effectively. So you could probably watch a couple of YouTube videos as it relates to that, to get the basic gist of the Heimlich. And you're good to go. Yeah. 
and, and even probably, you know, um, maybe not as good, but I bet if you watch some videos on CPR, you would be ahead of the game at least. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. If your standard is just getting to know the basics, that might be a good place to start. Uh, yeah. uh, it's a worthwhile effort. We actually, we did um, one of these with somebody and it was live and in person and a, a great lady named Jen, she did a CPR demonstration on a dummy for us. So it's, it's in one of our other videos if you go take a yeah. look. But uh, I, I you know she thought at least that if people watching could see her do it, that they might be able to recreate it. So, you know, and she's you know, trained and does it all the time. So, you know, if she thinks that you could learn it from a video, you, you probably can. Well, if we can all uh, learn how to plank and dump uh, ice water on ourselves. Right. Uh, we can at least learn a little bit about CPR. We spend enough time in front of our devices. Absolutely, for sure. So um, anything going on with Abby Soap that you want people to know about? Well, uh, we, uh, we always have, you know, it's, the, it's getting towards the end of the summer, but Abby Soap always spends much of the summer, I'm, I'm proud to say, practicing what we preach, what we're just talking about. We, we um, still distribute to, uh, boy, I think I was told about 6,000 of these in this summer alone. Wow. Summer camps and families across the country. And with a little sheet on how to use them, as if it isn't obvious, it's explained right here. But nonetheless, and we hope people who receive those do utilize it. We also underwrite uh, uh, hundreds, if not near a thousand, of free swim, swim lessons uh, in the Minnesota area uh, each year. In fact, we just partnered with a swim school in the Midwest to get the Abby's Hope information at those uh, schools. And I always uh, continue our advocacy work uh, each year there. We have to make sure that the Consumer Product Safety Commission, the Pool Safely campaign, uh, get their funding for both education, grants to communities and also improving the legislation as we find out we need to make changes throughout time. So that continues. It's a little tough to get members of Congress to pay attention to it now, uh, but um, it, it does work and uh, making sure that the agency itself is properly monetized to do the good work that they do uh, each year. So it, it's a it's it's a battle that has six incremental successes every year and uh, we're happy to do it. So excellent. Is there anything else you want to plug or make sure people know about before we wrap up? Well, I mean, it seems like every time I see someone do these interviews, they always do their website. Yeah. So I'll do the same. Okay. It, you know, Abby's Lots of good information uh, on there, including uh, there's a little icon on there that says, take the pledge. It's a little promise to behave a certain way around the pool. And you take that and you click, and then you get one of these tags in the mail free. Uh, do it and uh, stay in touch, keep engaged and uh, make a friend out there. Uh, that's, never that's know advice. Yeah. Perfect, Alan. Well, thank you really so much. I really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. You are uh, one of the, my, my favorite people that I've met through the NDPA and, uh, as soon as I started doing this, I knew immediately that you were somebody I wanted to, to have on and talk to. So right back at you. I wouldn't have said yes if I didn't like working with you. So, well, well thank you. Yeah, sure. All right, Alan. Well, thank you so much. Thanks. Have a great day. And okay. we'll, we'll talk again soon. Okay. Bye-bye, sir. Right. Take care.